where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. I know I originally had plans to do the uh, films for Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, but uh, I decided to have a, a quick uh, change of, uh, of topic, uh, as they say in professional wrestling, card subject to change. Uh, this will not be a typical film reviews installment. Today we have a very special guest. He's the director of a little film that has become an internet social media sensation. Yes, I am having a chat and picking the brain of the one and only Brandon Steer, the director of Velocipaster. Uh, Brandon, uh, thanks for coming on uh, Megan the Movies. Hello, it's me, Brendan. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I uh, happy to be here, man. Nice to nice to see you. Awesome. Uh, you and I first became acquainted uh, via Greg Lamberson back in 2013 for uh, Buffalo Screams, or at least it was still called Buffalo Screams back then. Uh, this was the same year as Judas Goes from Simon Pierce, uh, My Fair Zombie from Brett Kelly. Uh, this was for Animosity, which we'll go into detail later. Uh, there was a particularly good crop of films that year. Yeah, there was. There was. Um, I I am. <laughs> I'm good friends with Simon still. He's an awesome dude. We talk on Twitter all the time. <laughs> um, and I fucking love his movies. Um, I've seen bits of Horizon, too, the uh, the web series he's doing, and I really liked it. So it's, yeah, he's a talented guy. Motivational growth, too. I, I liked oh, yeah. that film. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey Combs. Who, who wouldn't? Yes. Uh, we, yes, exactly. <laughs> we uh, geeked out over our mutual love for Goblin. Uh, we talked movies for a good while. I thought, okay, here's a cool guy who made an amazing horror film. Now seven years later you're one of the biggest names in indie genre cinema uh, i think Velocipaster has joined the likes of wolf cop and fdr american badass as like some of the best indie cult cinema gems in the last few years thank you thank you so much it's um yeah it's been a wild ride <laughs> it's been a weird seven years <laughs> but um it, it's uh it's been very very gratifying and i'm i'm humbling and uh, yeah, I'm happy about it. I'm happy people are seeing the movie. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, it's wild. Uh, tell Thank me a little. You. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Uh, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, did you come from an artistic, media creative family, or was this something you came across yourself and your family supported you along the way? Uh, no, my parents are teachers. Um, my, my dad's a, uh, my dad, they're both retired now, mm -hmm. but my dad was a, um, a professor of special education in Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, my mom worked with, uh, special needs kids as well. So that's what they do. <laughs> um, and I will say that, like, I don't know, there, there have been moments that I've sort of thought in, in an esoteric kind of way, maybe that did prepare me to perhaps be more empathetic when writing, mm -hmm. Um, just sort of see the world from people's different points of view, you know, I don't know. They were, they were very open with what they did and they talked to me a lot about it. Um, and that was wonderful. I loved that. So, but beyond that, no, they're not really artistic. My dad plays music, um, and loves music. He like had a high school band and all that shit. <laughs> and I definitely followed the mantle of that. Um, but I, I think I discovered a lot of it myself. Certainly they weren't interested in film beyond just being fans. We just talk about film a lot as a family. We bond over it a lot. 
Awesome. Uh, according to your IMDb, you were born in Connecticut and then you were raised in Montana and you've uh, lived in Pennsylvania, New York City, Paris, uh, Berlin and Los Angeles. And how do you think that extensive travel has affected you on a creative basis? Definitely has. Um, I think it's it's allowed me similarly, I think, to have an easier time or or, or maybe just a, a different approach to to understanding different people and cultures better. Like you sort of start realizing that everybody around the world is basically the same. <laughs> You're just sort of seeing it through a different cultural filter, like sort of like the jock in Germany is still a jock. It's just that it, it he speaks German and he goes to the Berlin clubs <laughs> and he plays right. football or he plays soccer instead of football. And like, you know, it's interesting, but you start realizing how similar everybody really is and how cool that is, how how you can really connect with people all over the world. Like, I, I remember for a while I lived with this, um, in Paris, I lived with this Mongolian girl uh, named Ma Li, barely spoke any English and I loved her to death. <laughs> I don't speak Mandarin or Mongolian. So we were like, we literally, we had to live... <laughs> We had to live in the same apartment together for like a month alone. Um, and we communicated exclusively through Google Translate and images. Like right. I remember there was one point where she was talking to me about where she was from in Mongolia. And she just showed me <laughs> – she showed me a picture of like this this desolate mesa. And, and she was like, this is my home. This nice. is where they bring up the goats. And I, I, I have no idea what that meant. But I was just like, all right, this is important to Mali. This is home. And the goats are very important. And I don't know. That's fucking cool. I, I showed her where I was from. And you just you, – you get – you realize how similar everybody really is. And you realize how – even though the cultures might be very different, mm -hmm. might be even alien to you. It's like there's still people and there's still people that like have crushes on their friends and like want to like want to impress their boss. And like, you know, it's the same thing. And and it's just really cool, I think, to see that in a lot of different contexts. So, yeah, I, I think it affected me that way. I think maybe I'm a little more empathetic to other people and a little more understanding of where they're coming from culturally. Yeah, and it gives you a better idea of what themes uh, are universally relatable. Oh, absolutely. And the answer is like most of them. <laughs> like, like it's very rare that I'll see a film where I'll be like, oh, this is a very Japanese thing. Mm -hmm. Or or I'll be like, oh, this is like aggressively American. <laughs> um, it's like most most good films are universal. That That's the appeal of them. Uh, what was your academic background um, as far as, you know, are you a film school veteran or were you one who was really like self-taught along the way? I am a film school vet. I went to film school. I went to the <laughs> School of Visual Arts in Manhattan uh, four years, uh, BFA. I fucking loved it. Um, I I mean, it, it has the same bullshit that any for-profit college does, but it's sort of like if you're going to use film school correctly, I'm an advocate for it. Um, but you have to understand what it's offering you going in. And ironically, that is not education. <laughs> it's sort of like most most of my film theory stuff, I, I sort of self-developed. Like this is all things that, and don't get me wrong, I learned about art in school, but I'd say 75% of it in terms of what I like, what I think works, that's mostly self-taught. Okay. Um, 
film school is really good for making connections, making um, friends. Uh, like wonder of wonder, you can make friends. <laughs> and um, I still talk to my, my best friend I met in film school. I'm going to be the best man at his wedding in October. Well, nice. hopefully. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I loved it. I did go to film school. If you want to go to film school to learn how to make movies and that's it, then you probably shouldn't. Because <laughs> 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 genuinely... <clears throat> Especially now, especially with streaming, with with the amount of uh, the availability of films and and commentary tracks and the Criterion Collection and the Criterion mm -hmm. Channel and like the Masterclass series and all of the online tutorials. Yeah, you don't need to go to film school to learn how to make movies. Um, the appeal of film school is, like I said, the connections, which are invaluable because these are people you will you will collaborate with and talk to and lean on for the rest of your life. Um, and the other thing is uh, access to the equipment, honestly. Like, it's... My school was very... SVA was very lenient with leaning out their cameras. And, of course, you know, um, you can just sort of make up any sort of excuse to take them out <laughs> and just sort of shoot whatever the fuck you want. And if you're going to go to film school and take advantage, advantage of it like that mm -hmm. if you're going to meet people if you're going to be receptive to their ideas if you're going to be receptive to their films and if you're going to fucking uh grift your school <laughs> yeah. and basically take out that camera as often as possible and shoot whatever the fuck you want and make it work for you then yeah absolutely go to film school i that's what i did and i loved it i got animosity out of it that was a film school film and the original velocipaster short and I know I only made those because I felt comfortable enough that I wasn't spending my own money on equipment. Because that every time you try and take out equipment after film school, it, it, you're on a timer, you know? Mm -hmm. That's why films shoot over like, oh, we got to shoot in 12 days or whatever. Because it's like every day you have that equipment out, you're paying, God, I don't fucking know, seven to 800 bucks. So it's like there's a reason – I, I think going to film school is important to interface with that, to understand the cameras so that it's like once you once you actually get on set for your first feature, you're not just totally lost when an AC is like, oh, I need to reload the camera. You'll have an idea of how long that takes. You'll have an idea of what that means. You might even be able to do it yourself. And it's like that shit is invaluable. But I will say... Look, if you're a rich kid <laughs> or 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 alternately, if you cannot afford film school, then, yeah, you do not need to go. I, I think that I was lucky enough to be in a monetary situation where I could. And, yeah, I took advantage of it. But in terms of what I actually learned um, in terms of my art, <laughs> like, I don't know, like I said, maybe 25 percent. There, there were good teachers. There were good classes. I'm happy I went for the academics as well, but by far it was the least important part of going to film school. <laughs> please, please, you can take some of them. Just give me back the two Jill and me. Please, you have no idea how much I like this girl, man. Her dad gave me those books and I was supposed to read them and then bring them back and then it was supposed to be like this, just building this trust kind of thing. Please, you can take them, just give me back those two. All right, first off, I'm mugging you. You don't get to pick and choose what I take. And second of all, you're an idiot. Dude, you got this situation with the girl in the bag. You know what you do is... Actually, how about this? Uh, fuck this, I'm taking your stuff. Whoa, See ya, dude. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. 
Uh, I had the chance to see one of your early short films, A Mugging, uh, an amusing short film where a mugger gives his victim valuable dating advice. Uh, having worked on short films myself, they're never as easy as it looks. Uh, any amusing anecdotes on that production? Yeah, um, I can tell you that was an in-class project. <laughs> um, I had definitely forgotten it was online. <laughs> and um, the mugger in that is Alec Lambert. He's a really talented filmmaker and musician. He plays the mugger in Velocipaster as well. So it's, it's, it's actually like from from like a decade apart, I was just like, I don't know, Alec looks like a dude who could beat me up. <laughs> so, so there we are. Uh, <laughs> There's a reason for everything. God has a plan. Something good is going to come from this. You understand, Carol. I lust for the flesh. I long to hurt people. You'll kill people. All the time. What must I do? Hurt the right people. What? Every drug dealing murderer you've ever said came into your confession booth, you said it yourself a hundred times. Some of them are beyond help. I was speaking hypothetically, Carol. I'm not. Kill them. Uh, shortly after the mugging, or a uh, mugging, uh, there was the Velocipaster trailer short. Uh, it tickles me that we're discussing Velocipaster on Easter Sunday. Uh, that wasn't even my intention. Uh, in the words of Bob Ross, no mistakes, just happy accidents. Uh, I was getting some American Werewolf in London vibes and some of the cinematography and Tim Galise's Father Stewart. Uh, in the credits, you listed Olivia Hussey. Uh, was that a joke or did you honestly try to reach out to her and involve her in the short? It was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> I, I, especially back then, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin trying to reach out to a name actor. Like I, I, I wouldn't have had the slightest fucking idea. So, but I had just seen Black Christmas for the first time, and um, I don't know. She's just got a funny name. It, it she, the name sounds like somebody that would be in a movie called The Velocipaster. Oh uh, yeah, she she goes so, from Romeo and Juliet to Velocipaster. So yeah, yeah that, that. That's, that's the one. <laughs> So, so yes, it was it was 100% a hundred percent a weird joke that probably only amused myself. <laughs> uh, while we're on the subject of the short film, let's just jump right into the feature film of Velocipaster. Uh, I called uh, this film "Your Dark Star." Uh, for those who don't get the reference, I'll quickly explain it. Uh, Dark Star started out as a short film while John Carpenter was still a student at the University of Southern California. After being picked up by producer Jack H. Harris, the film was brought to feature length and became a cult classic, and it's probably still one of my favorite Carpenter films. Uh, it's kind of the same approach by Velocipaster. Yes. Um, I, I think so. I, I'm, I'm very flattered that you think it's my dark star, <laughs> because that means that low-key, I'm John Carpenter, and I'm about to make fucking Halloween, bro. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think... They're very similar both in the Genesis where they came from a short film um, and because they are the works of weird young people who don't give a shit if you like it. <laughs> and I think that ethos is very similar. Like like neither of them is making too many concessions to the audience. Like they, they don't they don't compromise what the filmmaker actually wanted to do. Um, they're sort of inviting the audience to participate as opposed to. Um, just sort of, I don't Spectate. know, giving them what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're similar in that sense. And I'm, I'm very, 
I love Dark Star, so hell yeah. <laughs> uh, by this time, you had one feature film under your belt, Animosity. Uh, how did that experience uh, prepare you for when you brought back Velocipaster? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it uh, every way. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, Animosity was truly a trial by fire in the sense that, like, I just sort of wanted to go for it. I, 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 I had the humor of youth <laughs> and I was sort of like fuck it I'm gonna do a feature um and I'm happy I did I'm so happy I did uh it's very me <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's also like yeah I learned what doesn't work about that I I'm or or what didn't work for me about that probably the biggest lesson um was the size of the crew like when we first started production on animosity um god there were like 20 25 people on crew and by the end, there were usually about like four <laughs> and it was, it was just sort of like, I don't know. I just moved faster. I worked better. I just felt more inventive and creative and in control when there were less people there. <laughs> and, and so I don't know, that really works for me. And I definitely brought that ethos to Velocipaster. I, I think, you know, not counting talent, not counting the actors mm-hmm. um, or myself, I think maximum crew on VP at any given time was like nine people, maybe 10, um, maybe 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, the shoot went so much smoother than animosities did. Yeah. Yeah. A small crew has always seemed to just make any job easier. You know, it's just seemed like no matter what the project is, uh, did the actors quickly sure pick seems up on, like it. <laughs> uh, did the actors quickly pick up on the film's quirky nature or were they kind of guided towards that tone? Um, a bit of both. Most of them got it, I will say. Um, well, well, uh, you know, I'll say everybody got it. I, I actually made sure in casting when I was like talking to people that they at least understood the tone (laughs) because like most of the battle of making a movie like Velocipaster is balancing the tone. It's like it can't be so silly that people lose interest. It can't be so serious that it's not living up to it. It's a movie that about a priest who turns into a fucking dinosaur like it's a comedy. <laughs> it can't be too serious. But you also, you know, you're going to spend two, three years of your life on it. So you want it to have meaning. Um, and so like all the sort of tonal battles in that were the biggest part, the biggest challenge of directing it. Um, I will say for for Greg, for Doug, because he was the most important one tonally. He's the man. In character, he's in mm-hmm. almost every scene. Um, you really got to nail him. And I will say that I, before production began, I wrote him this really exhaustive document <laughs> called like a Doug Bible. <laughs> and essentially, you know, you know, I went into a lot of stuff there, a lot of very film school, like 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 pondering art stuff. But the most important thing I think that he took away from it was I said to him at one point, like essentially you're playing two characters. You're playing Doug real. And there are going to be moments where you have to play the reality of a situation where it's like, he's in love with Carol or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to play it like correctly. You have to play it like a good actor. And then there are other moments of the movie where you're essentially playing an actor acting in a bad seventies movie. Um, <laughs> like, like, like the Shatner zooms and, and like the, the silly stilted delivery of lines and stuff. And so I, I sort of, I sort of invented a William Shatner-esque character that I, I called Stanley. And I would say to Greg on set, 
like a little more or a little less Stanley, essentially. <laughs> and that was um <clears throat> that was how it guided his performance. Um he's a terrific actor. So it's like he really understood it it from the word go. And honestly, most of directing him was just just that, just telling him how silly or how serious to play that particular moment. Uh, were there any uh, cast members that brought something to the production that was more than what you expected uh, for the better? Yes, um, definitely. Uh, everybody, but per- particularly Fernando de Castro as Frankie Mermaid. Uh, he basically <laughs> wrote his part himself. He is the one that came up with the name. He is the one that came up with swimming in bitches. Like he's, he literally like wrote that part. Um, I, I sort of just stood back and let him do it because <laughs> he obviously was a creative guy that, that was like inspired by something. And I was just sort of like, all right, dude, well, this fucking rules and it's very funny. So I'm just going to let you run with it. Um, and so that's essentially what I did for him, but everybody brought, brought things. Everyone. Uh, uh, Mermaid's still probably my favorite Velocipaster Valentine card. Uh, for those who don't know what those are, uh, just do a Google <laughs> search for Velocipaster Valentine's Day cards. They're absolutely priceless. Uh, what filmmakers or uh, films had a specific influence on Velocipaster? Uh, just because I got a lot of the Abr- Abrams and Zucker vibes from like Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I adore Airplane. Um, like that's one of the most perfect comedies ever made, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like for sure. Um, other big influences, a lot of Japanese film, a lot of, um, one of the biggest influences just passed away the other day. His name was, uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi. Um, oh, yeah. He directed, Halsu. Yep. He directed Halsu <laughs> and like literally incalculable influence on me. Like I, that's one of my favorite films. I watch it all the time <laughs> and like, uh, you know. He 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 definitely was a huge influence on Velocipaster in terms of how he uses music, in terms of how he how playful he is, like how he's doing really almost childish things with his filmmaking. But they work. They're like just so inventive and cool. Cool. Yeah, and I think it was his. Uh, five, it was uh, his like at the time his five year old daughter. I think was the one who actually wrote the script for the film. So that 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 goes a long right. way. Well, and it, and it shows you how smart he was, where he was sort of like, hey, I want to make like a, a scary ghost story that barely makes sense. Who do I go to? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to his daughter. It's, it's brilliant. <clears throat> he was a brilliant man, and I really loved his films. I'm going to miss his stuff. Um, so him. Uh, definitely Black Dynamite. Definitely oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. It's this... Uh, British show by Richard Ayoade. It's fucking incredible. I think the whole thing's on YouTube, so everybody should watch it. Um, and it, that that was like my dark place was like my Bible for Velocipaster. That was sort of what I wanted it to be. <laughs> and um, and finally, Miami Connection, obviously, like right. that's where I got the ninjas. That's it, that movie is fucking classic cinema, and I will fight anyone <laughs> that does not. <laughs> think so i i adore miami connection so yeah that those were the biggest ones i would say and of course of course tarantino rodriguez oh, yeah, um, with yeah. grindhouse yeah uh, without them there probably wouldn't be the neo grindhouse movement that we're currently enjoying with films like rubber and uh, what was the what oh was absolutely the, 
Was the social media reaction, or for lack of a better term, uh, unexpected? I mean, well, actually, now it's beyond social media, where you're in Forbes, AVB, AV Club, uh, The Nerdist, Mainstream Attention. Uh, this has to be gratifying for all the work that you put into Velocipaster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, it is incredible. I, I never... I never in a million years thought it would reach an audience this big. Like, like I knew there, I, I knew there would be an audience. <laughs> like it's a movie called Velocipaster. I knew he would sell it. Like based on the title alone, I figured somebody would pick it up, but I, I don't know. I, I was not, it, it's not that I didn't believe in the film. I, I, I did. I, I think it's more just that I was kind of yeah, surprised. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think that I didn't think it would be, like, put it this way. We were talking earlier about how, like, traveling around the world, you, you realize a lot of things are universal. Mm-hmm. I didn't think this was. <laughs> <laughs> and turns out I was very wrong. <laughs> um, and I am, I've never been happier to be wronger. I'm, I'm very happy with how many people it's reached and how many, how many people it's made happy, honestly. Great, Ishtar. Uh... Does our sacrifice somehow offend you? No, um, it's, I'm just, I don't know. Just not feeling it tonight. She displeases you? Oh, no, 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 she's, she's cool. It's, uh, it's just more of like, it's, it's like not in the ethers, you know. I'm just not into it. Great Ishtar. Um, Terry is fine. Great Ishtar. We spent months trying to find proper virgins for the ritual. Yeah, it took a super long time. Well, well, I mean, you know, she's, first of all, she's not a virgin. She's not? She's not? Well, I mean... Are we really going to talk about this right now? Well, yeah, why were we waiting for marriage then? Tim, okay, we're with goddess Ishtar right now. We are not going to talk about this. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just a little, a little annoyed right now. I mean, we prepared you two human sacrifices for you to feast on. Who cares if one of them's a slut? It's one guy. Yeah, and I'll bet it was Gary, too, wasn't it? Uh, okay, we're going to jump back to one of your... We're going to now go back now, uh, jumping back to one of your other short films, uh, Blood Sacrifice of uh, the Blood Sacrifice the Goddess Ishtar. Uh, this was hilarious uh, in an office, parks and rec, <laughs> oddball manner. Uh, that was Nora Isabella's Ishtar, right? Yes. Yes, correct. Okay. Uh, she was doing just a really spot-on impersonation of Aubrey Prozla, uh, which was great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you, despite only having a few lines, you were funny as well as the shock spited boyfriend to the intended sacrifice, which I thought was just absolutely oh, thank brilliant. You. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was another that was another in class one. Jesse shot that same cinematographer as Velocipaster and Animosity. Nice. Don't have the first clue, Carrie. Never tell me what to do again. Maybe it's slow. Tell him, Michael. Carrie, stop. Tell him what you did to your wife. When lights go low. Swear, dude. There's no help, no. You have no idea. 
what he's done to me, please. Oh, trust me, Carrie. I really do. In 2013, you unleashed Animosity, which is a, a fantastic horror film and probably one of the top, top films I'd seen in Buffalo Screams as well as their rebranding of Buffalo Dreams. I don't want to spoil it because it's a movie you need to go into blind. Uh, it's, it's crucial to know as little as possible. Uh, and it helps that you have a, a trailer that shows you the scenes but doesn't give you the context. Uh, the Walker Brothers, uh, which is probably one of the best song trailer combinations ever made. today seems to be a lost art totally agree by the way i oh sorry i was just gonna i was just gonna give credit where credit was due um i agree with the walker brothers comment because i did not pick that song that was our editor and he just sent it to me like sight unseen and he was like hey i uh, cut a trailer what do you think about this and i was just sort of like fuck dude this looks so much cooler um yeah no i I adore that trailer, and and I feel very comfortable saying that because I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> uh, making a great trailer seems to be a lost art these days. Uh, in your opinion, what makes for a strong trailer, one that grabs people into seeing the final product? It's an interesting question. I, I think I think it depends. It changes depending on what your movie is. Because essentially, at the end of the day, what I think a trailer should do is what a trailer. The function of a trailer is to be like this is the movie, take it or leave it. Like it, it is, it should show you essentially what you're in for. Now that does not mean spoiling the plot. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like it should tell you tonally what you're in for. It should tell you if like, is this creepy? Is it romantic? Is it sexy? Is it scary? Like that's what a trailer should tell you. And it should tell you basics of the plot. But honestly, that's not even, that's not even important. Like one of the best trailers I've ever seen is a 30 second um, television spot that was for this um, this this anime film called End of Evangelion. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, End of Evangelion is an incredibly dark film an incredibly uh, it's like nearly Von Trier level dark. And the ad for it was scribbles on a screen for 30 seconds as they layered every character screaming. And then (laughs) at the very end, it cuts to the title after like 29 sustained seconds of that building and wind rising and just howling noise. It builds to the title and it cuts hard to the title and you just hear one child laughing. (laughs) And that really does capture that film. Like it, it really is one of the best trailers I've ever seen. And you don't see a goddamn thing in the movie on it. Like, but it, it it is telling you so completely what the experience of seeing End of Evangelion is like. It's just like a primal s- scream <laughs> followed by like a weird sort of like there are some troll moments. So it's also kind of laughing at you. Mm. And it's like this brilliant. That's a brilliant trailer. And so I, I, I truly think it just depends on what your movie is. Um, yeah. I will say I do think most trailers give away too much of the plot. I like mm-hmm. to be surprised when I'm watching movies. Um, 
and I like to withhold important plot information in my trailers because it's sort of like, I don't know, it's just more fun. Like, you don't want to know the whole thing going yeah. in. It's fun. Uh, what was the biggest challenge you faced while making Animosity? Uh, budget. I would say budget, honestly. Um, we mismanaged the budget early on. Like, we were new to it. We just didn't know how to spend correctly yet. Um, and so we had to shut down production maybe two weeks in and sort of finish the movie on, like, weekends and nights for, mm. like, the following five months. <laughs> so it was like, that That sucked. It was very, very difficult. There, there are scenes in Animosity. Um, if you pay attention to the foliage in Animosity, whenever they're outside, <laughs> it's a fucking shit show. Because, like, sometimes it's fall, and there are certain scenes... There's one scene in Animosity where we're inexplicably in Leone close-up for the entirety of the scene. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's because there was snow everywhere. <laughs> and it took place outside, and it took place outside in the forest, and I was sort of like, fuck, we can't show snow on the ground. She literally just walked out of summer. <laughs> and so so it's like things like that. Like, honestly, like, it's kind of a miracle animosity works whatsoever. Considering, like, um, there are scenes in that where um, <laughs> my brother has has uh, long, flowing red hair, and he he stood in for our lead actress Tracy in like <laughs> eight or nine shots of that movie because she like wasn't available that day. <laughs> oh, so he so, was a fake shemp. Okay, he was a fake shemp. Yeah, yeah, and and. So we used fake shemps all the time, and and just somehow married it together. Like I honestly credit to our editor on that one that it works so well because it's it's a we shot that film probably over twenty days but over over half a year like from uh, June to I want to say January the next year. All right. Uh, well, for those who don't know, fake champ is uh, basically a term associated with uh, Sam Raimi, which has its basis in the Three Stooges. Uh, during some of the shorts that the Stooges were making, Shemp died, so they had to bring in a stand-in who obviously was not Shemp. So that's where the term fake Shemp comes from. Uh, Roy Frumkus was the executive producer on this film. Uh, he was part of that that group of filmmakers that were doing punk, grimy horror films. Uh, Frumkus had written Street Trash. You had Greg Lamberson with Slime City, uh, Hen and Lotter with Basket Case, Driller yep. Killer from Abel Ferreira, Maniac from William Lustig. Uh, how was it to have this genre veteran giving you support? It was really cool. Um, he was a... Uh... Roy was my thesis advisor. <laughs> he was a teacher at SVA. <laughs> and so I, I got to have a lot of really... I was lucky or, or not lucky. I chose well. I, I chose my advisor correctly because I thought that he could have valuable input on it. And he did. He had a lot of valuable input. He really um, he really understood how deeply good our lead actress was. And uh, her name is Tracy Willett. She's insanely talented. Oh, really, I, really good. Oh, God, yeah. I, I think her performance in Animosity is is – well beyond my skill level. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think that she's incredible in that film. And so I honestly, him going to bat for her to me, like we would like watch back edits and I'd be like, I don't know. It's going a little long. And he would be the one that's more like, no, 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 no. Let it linger on Tracy. That's your film. And uh, I think he was right about that. He was really supportive and really um, had interest 
interesting ideas in a film that honestly was not really in his genre wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, or not as much in his genre wheelhouse. Velocipaster would have been more so, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he was a really cool guy. Is uh, a really I cool love, guy. <laughs> I love this film and I hope you get the chance to make another one like it. So let's. I, I look forward to that in the future. First things first, you can never tell anyone. Secondly, nothing's going to happen but kissing. No, really. I don't care how much you buy, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Third, this doesn't mean anything. You promise that those are the rules? In 2014, you had the short film Rules. Uh, for a four-minute short, yes. it hits you with a curveball twist, uh, dealing with a taboo <laughs> subject. Uh, what do you think is the trick to tackling something that is really, uh, you know, frowned upon in social mores? Yeah, um, you just have to be truthful to it. You have to be truthful to it, and you have to be human about it. Like, um, it's interesting, right? I, I'm working on a film right now about incels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a project called Montana. It's a very serious, dark horror film. And it, it's, you know, um, I think the hardest part of approaching subject matter like that is, is you don't want to sensationalize it. You want to present the truth of it. And the truth might be, be uncomfortable and weird, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, especially with taboo subjects, they're just discussed less often. You just have more vectors of approach. So I think choosing an interesting and um, and let me say uh, appropriate vector mm-hmm. of approach for your story is, I think, the key to it. Like with rules, it's like what I wanted to do with that was sort of present you this intimate um, hot moment (laughs) and like sort of have it be sexy for the audience and have it play sexy. And then sort of at the end, when you reveal why it's quote wrong, it's like they kind of have to ask themselves if it was wrong. Were those feelings of sexual excitement wrong? Why, why were they wrong? When were Mm -hmm. they wrong? When did they become wrong? And it's sort of like that. That's an interesting question. And it's sort of like whenever you're approaching sort of taboo subject matter like that i think that that you really gotta consider what your what what the approach you're taking with your story is saying about that um and even philosopher quite frankly is no exam is is no exception like you know we're, we are talking about the church and faith and christianity and that's something deeply important to a lot of people yeah and to a lot of people it's a subject that you do not make fun of you know mm-hmm. and um i think yeah, that that played into a lot of how I wanted to approach Philosopher too. Just knowing that, being aware of, yeah, the fact that this is, uh, um, can be a, a a thorny subject, a difficult one to talk about. You have to think a lot about um, how how you want to say what you want to say. That's what I would. That that's what I think the the uh, key to it is. Yeah, and I could imagine other directors probably would have tried to. Uh, end the film on like a humorous note or mm-hmm. try to use like some very lowbrow comedy and that would have diminished the impact. So the way you avoided going the easy route with humor and just letting the audience off easy with it, I think was actually a really smart decision. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I agree. I, I, I think that it, it's, yeah, 
it's very easy to go for a joke with those taboo subjects. And I think sometimes it's just not worth it. Some, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just not the move you really want to make. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Man, the 80s were a wild time to be a kid, especially if you were just consistently chased by a masked maniac named Jason Voorhees whenever you signed up to be a counselor at Camp Crystal Lake. Hey guys, I'm Brendan with the leaderboard. Let's pack up some tents, grab some brewskis, and try not to die while we see what your Friday the 13th The Game Counselor says about you. There are 10 counselors in the game, so we're just going to run down the whole list for you. Don't be late for archery practice. I love the Friday the 13th video game, and I actually stumbled across uh, the Leaderboard YouTube channel, and uh, I was actually pleasantly... Go ahead, go ahead. I know where you're going with this. I was pleasantly surprised to hear your voiceover for the the videos there, Uh, not just Friday the 13th. But uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Life is Strange. Yeah. Uh, how did you uh, meet up with uh, the leaderboard and collaborate with them? Oh, it was super simple. Um, my my, uh, my cinematographer and best friend Jesse works at uh, uh, works at the leaderboard or worked at the leaderboard. He's now he now works at Crunchyroll. Um, right. But he he worked there and he was like they needed web content, so he reached out to me to write and edit and voice over those those videos, and I did it. Um, and so it's funny, those videos really paid for some post on Velocipaster. They sort of kept me monetarily afloat while we were doing the uh, festival tour and stuff. So some of them are pretty good. I really like the which, um, which counselor are you? Yeah, which counselor are you? Yeah, one. that one's cool. <laughs> That one's really fun. Um, most of them, quite honestly, you know, they would send me a script and I'd just do it and, you know, pocket the money and it was fun. But uh, there are a couple of them that I think are actually worthy of people's time. <laughs> and I, I, I think that the uh, which counselor are you is probably the best mm-hmm. one. Um, that, sure. that one, I'm it's it's one of the only ones that I'm like, it's almost a short film that I made. <laughs> so it's like that one I really enjoy. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just did it because uh, my buddy asked me to, and I needed money. <laughs> uh, did you have any say in the games you covered? Sometimes. Um, usually what would happen is Jesse would reach out to me and be like, hey, we have a script for, I don't know, 107 Facts About Dark Souls or something. Like, do you want to do it? And um, and then it would be sort of my decision of, you know, whether to take it or not. 90% of the time I'd be like, yeah, fuck it, why not? You know, it takes like two hours and you make like a hundred bucks to do the voiceover. When I was going to write about a game, I usually, um, I was more selective. Um, I think I did, I know I wrote one about, a couple about Friday the 13th. I wrote one about Dream Daddy. I wrote one about, um, I think Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice was one I did. I really liked that game. Usually it was games that I was passionate about. I would write about, but that was not always true. Um, and sometimes I would approach him and just be like, yo, dude, I got a funny idea for a video. You want to pay me to make it? Like, <laughs> um, and that was, uh, that was, I, I did a, uh, uh, I'm probably not going to continue it, but I did a couple of video series called mostly negative. Okay. Yep. Um, where it's sort of like a let's play series where I'm like having fun with the worst games on steam. <laughs> and, um, I will say that I made that for the leaderboard or I was going to, and then they decided not to use it, but they had paid me to make these videos. So I just had these videos and I thought they were pretty funny. So I put them on my own YouTube channel. 
So that one was more my baby, but I'm probably not going to continue it. If nobody's right. paying me to do it, sort of like I'd rather focus on feature films. Yeah. Uh, anything you're currently playing? Playing? Uh, that, yeah, like uh, what, any uh, cur- um, games you're currently playing that you would recommend? Oh, yeah, Death Stranding. I fucking adore Death Stranding. Um, I am still working through it. It's very long. <laughs> but I, it, it's been very meditative. I've really loved it. Uh, Persona 5, I think, is fucking brilliant i can't wait to play the final fantasy 7 remake um i am sure that if i had a switch i would be on animal crossing with everybody (laughs) (laughs) but since i do not i'm content with my playstation 4 games right now uh get get the switch just because you've got deadly premonition 2 coming out this year and that i i can't recommend enough the original deadly premonition i did not know is that a switch exclusive (laughs) Switch exclusive, yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, I probably will buy one then. <laughs> I'm not even lying. That that I I need to play that game. <laughs> You're welcome, Nintendo. All right, uh, I think uh, that about wraps up this interview. Uh, anything you'd like to plug? Social media, current projects. Ah, uh, yeah, a couple of things. Um, you guys can, uh, if you enjoyed this, you can, and you want to know more about Velocipaster, you can go to at the Velocipaster at the Velocipaster, one word. And uh, that's on Instagram, Twitter, all that, Facebook. If you want to follow more of me, I'm at Brendan Steer. That's B-R-E-N-D-A-N-S-T-E-E-R-E. And I'm on fucking everything as well. Um, I got a cool band. <laughs> uh, I'm working on a couple screenplays right now. And uh, yeah, we're, we're hunting for um, funding for the next Velocipaster film. I'm very excited about it. So yeah, I'm working on a lot. Oh, yeah. uh, keep us word if there's ever any crowdfunding, because I would definitely throw in. I absolutely will. Um, a lot of people have asked about crowdfunding, and right now we're not pursuing it, but we very well might in in the future, depending on how things shake out with this uh, with this pandemic. So yeah. Um, but yes, if there is a crowdfunding, if there's a crowdfunder or a Patreon or or something like that coming up, I will absolutely not be quiet about it i'll blast that shit out so do not worry um if and when we do a crowdfunder you'll know <laughs> you being the internet and not not just <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome well uh, thanks again for your time brandon this was uh, a lot of fun absolutely yeah thank you man it was nice to talk to you again yeah yeah we'll definitely uh, keep in touch and uh, we'll probably have to do this again uh, sometime in the near fu- in the future yeah sounds fun I want to thank Brandon for coming on the show today. A lot of good info as well as sharing his experience as a filmmaker and content creator. Next time on the show will be another interview. This one will be with New York City-based writer, director, and podcaster Michael Deserto. We will be celebrating 10 years of tryptosane. If you like this podcast and want to provide additional support, a one-time donation via PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo would be greatly appreciated. I'm on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can contact me via Gmail. All that info is in the description below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mac and the Movies. Take care and stay healthy.
God damn you, Carol. How many fucking times I have to tell you not to question what I do? Now, what's my name? Frankie Mermaid. And why is my name Frankie Mermaid? Speak up, Carol, so I'm gonna give you the fucking boot! Because you're swimming in bitches. You're goddamn right. You're goddamn right. <laughs>